You are listening to the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by John Palicki and Todd Zazado. Two high school head coaches talking basketball on the court, off the court, and anything in between. On today's episode of the After the Timeout podcast, we sit down with Coach Cassie Lestifka, assistant women's basketball coach at Wilmington College in Wilmington, Ohio. Coach Lestifka has been a coach at both the high school and college level. She talks about player development, starting out in coaching, pregame warmups, developing yourself as a coach, and getting more women involved in coaching and covering the game in the media. Enjoy the show. So recently I saw, uh, obviously Becky Hammond took over for Popovich as a head coach. And I saw, I saw one of your uh, tweets. Uh, I forget what news organization was that didn't necessarily acknowledge, right. That Becky Hammond was the head coach, which that's what's happened. Uh, I wanted to ask you like, how, how do we continue to, to grow the game and kind of break down that wall as far as because there's so many awesome uh, female coaches that uh, how how do we kind of break through that wall and grow the game for female basketball coaches? I think personally, from my opinion, it's you know continuing to call it out when we see it. I think that helps, and I think social media is so huge that it makes people recognize because it was by AP Sports. And as soon as people started blowing it up, they made a tweet, I think the next day or a good couple of hours later saying that Becky Hammond was the head coach of the Spurs. Like they corrected it, but it took people having to call them out. And I know someone a while back had tweeted like some percentages about the people that are in sports media. And there's a high percentage of men in sports media. So also I know there's young women, like you get to choose your field, but also giving that opportunity for women who do want to be in a spot in sports media does help that perspective as well. Because, you know, you can't call a male, you know, a head coach of a sport and then all of a sudden, you know, Becky Hammond directed a team. Like no one's ever used the term when you're a coach directed your team. Like you're a coach and you're a coach, that's it. Um, So I think again, calling it out when we see it. And I think that's something that I think society has gotten better at. Um, and I'm, I'm still fairly young. So to see it happening now makes me feel pretty good, um, especially as a female that there are also, you know, it's not just women calling out, it's now men calling out too. I think that's the biggest thing. Like, it's not just the females who are trying to stick up for themselves. You know, you have our men allies who are really, hey, this isn't how it's supposed to be. So, okay, let's, let's maybe expand on that then with Obviously, you know, you've probably had more conversations like that with with your players because there's been more time to have those conversations. So what are some of those things you've been talking about with your players and, and, and how to, I guess, advocate for themselves and advocate for, uh, you know, those, those kind of things to happen where, wherever job and field they decide to go into? Right. I think the biggest thing is knowing that they're, they're powerful no matter what. I think that's something that we've transmitted to them in conversation is that you have to be confident in yourself. You, you see so many things in society that tell you, well, women, you can't be, you know, too loud or you're, you're considered this, or you can't be, you can't say certain things or they're going to consider, they're going to think you're some type of way and everything like that. It's, it's being confident in who you are. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest compliments I ever got as a high school coach was, 
you wear your enthusiasm on the, your sleeve. Like I could be calm at sometimes, but I was like that Kim Malky. I give a floor slap here and there, or I, I gave a little stomp or I was fist pumping and no one ever complained about it because they knew that was me. I was going to, I was wearing my enthusiasm on my sleeve, no matter what. And the job that I'm in now, you know, my head coach and the rest of our coaching staff allow me to be myself. They don't box me in or bubble me in. So it's also telling our players, Hey, you know, when you go out that field, don't just settle for a place that, you know, is going to box you in and make you want to be a certain way. Like you got to be confident in who you are. And I think uh, we're still getting better at it. Like I said, one of our weaknesses as a team is our communication. And we've been doing fun activities to kind of build that, but it's not just for communication on the floor. It's communicating when they get into that job and wanting to negotiate, you know, a salary because they know their qualifications are there and they don't want to be settling for, well, this is what we're going to pay you. Well, no, my experience and my qualifications actually consider me to be a little bit higher and being able to negotiate and feel confident in that negotiation series. I, I honestly think that is so important as somebody that coaches um, at an all girls high school and, and both Tata and myself have, have coached uh, female athletes in the high school and collegiate level for a long time. I think that message is so important. Um, so thank you for sharing that coach. I want to transition now into, you know, your, your first year that you went into coaching, you know, you kind of went from being your teammates in college, their teammate to kind of like their coach. So kind of what was the biggest challenge for you that, that first year? Um, well, I will say it, it, it was an adjustment because I, so the summer after my sophomore season, I was having really bad ankle problems went to see an orthopedic specialist or like both your tendons are basically almost torn. We can give you an ultimatum. You can have surgery one at a time, six to eight month recovery for each, or you can keep playing and you probably end up tearing both. And I was like, well, no, I want to be healthy when I get older. So let's just do the surgeries. And the first week, I remember the first week of fall conditioning, like I'm on the sideline in a cast and I was still kind of thinking as a player at that point, like I, I was frustrated. I was like, I want to be out there. And then later on towards once I got out of the cast, I started being able to move in a boot and really kind of participate in practices as like a coach. It made me see the game in a whole different light. And I think something that could have kind of stood out to me was my head coach had told me, I think my freshman or sophomore year, Hey, you see the game as a coach. I didn't, I didn't know what she meant. Like I was, I was just a role player. I was doing my job. Um, but when I got onto the sideline, then it, it kind of clicked. Like I can see what she's talking about sometimes from a different perspective, but it, I guess everyone's different. Um, I was a sport management major, so I had no idea what I wanted to do after I graduated. So I guess my mindset, it was pretty open to anything. So when I kind of got into that coaching kind of realm, it was easier kind of to adjust. Okay. They used to be my teammates. Now I'm a student assistant coach. This is my role. This is what I need to do. Um, I, I think everyone's different and it is a hard adjustment. Um, it might take more time than some because you used to be a player and you really want to be out there on the floor, but now you got to really transition your mindset to see it from your head coach and your assistant coach. And sometimes just going up to them and asking questions. Um, I would always ask our head coach or assistant coach, Hey, do you, what do you want me to do? Like, where do you want me to jump in at? What do you want? Like, what do you want from me so I can make your job easier? And then it got me back into a different mindset that I'm not a player anymore. I, you know, and I, I think it's interesting too, when I went and, you know, Todd and I both like to research, you know, before we speak to somebody and something I noticed was your first year as a head JV coach in high school, you were 18 and two. And then that following year, you were seven and 14 and, and coming from two guys that were 
JV head coaches before we were high school head coaches ourselves. You know, what did you really learn from that first year to that second year, kind of running your own team? You know, that first year you had a lot of success and then that second year, you know, not as much success. So what did that second year teach you as a coach? The second year really taught me teaching the fundamentals and getting back to skills. Cause the first year I, I was spoiled. I had, I, I taught, I coached at an all girls school. So my first year we were emerged. So we had two, basically we had a lot of seniors. We had eight seniors on varsity. My JV team was four swing juniors and the rest were sophomores. So a lot of them had already played together at their previous high school. So I had experience. So I had girls that kind of already understood the IQ of the game and it was kind of easy to navigate. We practiced with varsity. So they got that experience going up and down with a higher level team as well. Transition to my second year, we only had five. I only had five full-time JV players. I had three sophomores that came out for tryouts. And then I had two full-time freshmen for JV game time I swung five freshmen from the freshman team and then I brought two juniors down from varsity now the juniors never practiced with us so that was a whole different element of trying to get them on the same page which they did a great job they were both experienced they had me last year as sophomore so they kind of knew how I coached but it was it was different now last year we got to practice as freshmen in JV so the freshmen that swung up kind of already knew our systems and everything like that but maybe you can attest from uh, coaching at an all girls school, you know, we, we're like, we feed, we're a feeder. We get our girls from our feeder. We're not public where you have like this big, you know, middle school, grade school. Like we have Catholic grade schools who only practice maybe twice a week if they can, you know, they're practicing in a church sometimes. So like our freshmen that came in, some of them couldn't even drill with their left hand. So it really got me teaching back to the basic fundamentals, which actually is how I got into kind of player development of seeing the game from a different view of, Hey, it's not just X's and O's. I got to really teach these girls reads and how to actually just play the game. Um, So that's the biggest thing I learned from the second year. Like I was so happy that we were even seven and 14 with some of the games that we played because our freshmen towards the end of the season really started picking up concepts and really how to read within our offense. Cause our varsity coach wanted us to run the Princeton offense from varsity to freshman. Princeton offense is pretty complicated if you don't really understand passing and cutting and spacing. <laughs> and especially when you don't have kids who can kind of do all that, like you need good passers, you need skilled ball handlers, you need to be able to shoot the ball. It was really teaching those type of fundamentals so that when we ran our offense, it looked pretty decent. I always say nobody learns quicker how to teach the game than a JV high school coach. Oh yeah. All right. So you were talking, you're just talking about those concepts. Uh, you know, and I'm not a big set person because I feel like I can scout at least at the high school level, I can scout and I can kind of get rid of your sets real quick. Right. If you're, I mean, you obviously have to have some for certain things, but what are some of the, your favorite concepts and things you like to teach? What do you, have you seen that's most effective or just your personal preferences? So I've come from, like when I was at ONU, we did a lot of ball screen continuity, which I love because there's so many reads you can make off a ball screen. Like it's not just one thing. Uh, Princeton wasn't bad. Again, we had skilled players. So we were able to make a lot of different reads. We had a really skilled point guard who knew, hey, I can keep this dribble handoff or I can come off this ball screen or I can make that skip pass. Um, the biggest thing I'm learning with now, this is my first year at Wilmington, my first year ever actually really coaching drill drive is really helping players just make reads off the bounce, making, be able to make a skip pass, when to attack, 
if you get cut off, what's your counter move to quickly change directs, directions? So I think for me personally, one of my, my favorite is ball screen. I think there's so many different options you can run off of it. Um, and defenses always try to do different coverages. And again, there's so many different reads to counter those coverages. And I think we've, we've inputted a couple ball screens in our secondary action, which I'm kind of happy about. Now it's just really teaching our girls how to read a ball screen. We actually haven't been able to do contact. Hopefully, you know, we have our second COVID test tomorrow. Everything goes good. And then we're actually full go Thursday. So Thursday will be the first day is since October that we've actually been able to do like five on five. Yeah, you're, 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 way, you're way ahead of us. Uh, way ahead. Way ahead, of, way ahead of us. That's awesome. That's exciting. So uh, this is probably, uh, you know, at the, the college level, you have the more time, you have things built in, video, all, all that, right? There's, but at the high school level, think back, we're going back to the high school level. So we're teaching those concepts. We're trying to get those things you, you want down. What if there's just a player that isn't quite picking it up? How, how are we trying to help them as far as, uh, especially at the high school level where you can't necessarily – right? Hey, we're going to get in early work here all the time. You know, there's three teams in the gym, things like that. What are some things you, that you think are work best for somebody who's struggling to pick up those concepts? I think sometimes film, I think film's one of the best things. If you use huddle, I, we used huddle when I was in high school and I loved it where I could send clips to players or I could like go into a locker room during a break and be like, Hey, let's look at this set or let's look at this action and really be able to pause slow motion it and really point it out. Um, when it came to like even plays, I would have players teach me, like I'd pull my whiteboard out on a, like random, if we had a break or something here, teach me this set. All right. If she takes that away, what would you do? Um, and having them draw it to me and be, basically coach me that way I understood, okay, you're, you're getting it now because if they can't coach me, then they're not, then I'm not doing my job. Uh, they should be able to coach me what I'm teaching. But when it came to like the concepts and the skill stuff, Film is probably the best thing. And I think now that Zoom is taken off, it helped us in, at the college level too, where I was able to show film of finishing moves, just even basic finishing moves from other college teams and be able to slow it down and be like, this is why we're teaching an extended finish, to keep it away from the defender. You can see her defender trailing her. She's going towards the basket. So I think film is probably the best thing, when, especially at the high school level, if you don't have those, those times before practice or even maybe after practice, being able to kind of send clips or even, hey, let's go in the locker room while we have this break and let's break this down. I, I, I love that. I love that idea of using Huddle as that slow motion teaching tool as, as both Todd and I have, have Huddle for our program. Before we really get into the meat of the player development uh, for today's episode, I, I really found it interesting that you had said that you were found as an assistant uh, at Wilmington on Twitter. I just thought that was so cool. So, you know, how can coaches and, and you're really outspoken and active and share, you know, on social media, but how can coaches use social media to share the game and improve others and improve themselves? Yeah, I think for me, I always joke because Twitter is like my network. Like Twitter, I think is my coaching, like my coaching network that I've, I, that I've kind of built, but it's also been great relationships that I've been able to like, I'll DM random coaches that I think I'm like, Hey, listen, I'm, we're doing this. Can you give me some feeders? Like, even if I don't hear back, at least it was that approach. Like, Hey, you reached out. Um, but yeah, it was, I had followed Janelle. She hadn't actually followed me. 
but she saw that I was one of her followers. So she did a deep dive on what I was sharing and was interested in and actually DM me. I was like, hey, do you want to call for an interview? We have a positioning open right now because our head coach is thinking a leave of absence. And I was ecstatic. But I think so many coaches have so much knowledge of especially their own. Um, I've seen sometimes on Twitter, like other coaches will bash coaches for doing certain things. And there's a, there's a fine line, but not, there's so many different answers for everything. So being able to share what works and kind of showcase that, then all of a sudden coaches like, oh, hey, I might want to try that. Or, hey, how does this work for you? Or can we expand on it? Or they can tweak it. Um, you know, everything that we do might not work for someone else, but they're like, I kind of like that. Maybe I can tweak it to fit this. But just being able just to continuously share the information that you have, um, I think is worthwhile and it brings the attention to other coaches. And I always look, I follow so many coaches that will post stuff on like their player to like UCLA women's basketball, when they post stuff on their practice of when they're breaking down certain shots off their action. I'm like, I kind of like that, even though it's something that we don't do. I'm like, I kind of like that movement or how it's set up. Maybe we can tweak this to fit our development. Um, but just continuously share what works for you. And then it allows other coaches to kind of build on it. So you kind of talked about that at the end. Now we, I watched your presentation the other day the coach, and you had that awesome daily vitamins, right? That, that thing's legit, right? Um, how, I guess, how did that come together? What did you, is there a certain non-negotiables you, you always have in that? Obviously there's probably, there's system stuff in it, you know, based on what you're running, but and you kind of just mentioned you take some and tweak it to your own, but how, how did that all come together and what kind of things are your non-negotiables in that daily vitamins? Yeah. So I stole the daily vitamin like term from UCLA cause I loved it. I'm like, this right. is perfect. And it clicks. Like I said, in my previous presentation, I had players text me when we could work out. I'm like, they're like, Hey coach, can we do our daily vitamins? I'm like, all right, you guys are having some type of fun with this, but yeah, I mean, it started clicking with them. Um, I guess the biggest non-negotiables for me is we always got to put some type of offensive actions in our shooting. Like I like to break down shooting reps by, you know, spot shootings of where we shoot at the floor, but definitely repping certain actions because it will translate when we come into practice. I think one of the biggest examples is, is we do a dribble handoff type action in one of our secondaries. And it was, I had a point guard that I'm working with of how to fake that handoff and just blow by her defender. So just being able to fake like she's handing off, push out the ball and go block, go by because she's 5'4", but she's got speed. And the one time we were able to get up and down, she blew by the other point guard defender perfectly, like had it all set up. She faked the handoff and just went. And that, that's what we're talking about. Like when I told, tell them about daily vitamins is, hey, we break down our offensive sets and actions so that this, this can be translated in a game. Um, I think another thing is, finishing um, because there's so many different ways to finish around the rim, especially with guards. So we continuously work on, and it's not like the fancy creative, it's just extended finishes, wrong foot. You know, we have a little floater, especially because we don't have, we, we have, we're basically the size between five, four and like maybe five, eight are our tallest guards. So being able to finish around the rim creatively, but I think some people go for like, okay, you have to get this many shots up. No, because if I tell you, you just got to get 10 shots up or 10 reps for this series, you could go 0 for 10 and that doesn't help. You could go 2 for 10 and that doesn't help. So again, my thing is we're doing makes no matter what. I don't care if you're 10 for 70. 
All right, that just tells me, okay, we got to prove at that spot. Um, and our kids have loved it. I've tried to, I'm wrapping up, I'm doing Excel to like make the percentages of where they've shot in different actions through the six weeks that they've done in December. Uh, but that would be, I guess, two of my non-negotiables is, you know, always do makes, never do um, just go shoot 10 shots and that's it. And then definitely breaking down your offensive systems. And even if, cause we, I mean, we do dribble drives so we don't have to break it down too much, but like our second, we have so many secondary options. We break that down. So they're just continuously repping it. Okay. So let's break down practice a little bit then. What is our percentage of skill development? Um, whether it be right ball handle, shoot, whatever it may be. Uh, is there, is there small sided games in there to, work on that decision-making and set up, right? Your actions, specific actions, and then, you know, your five on five stuff, kind of what are those percentages and how, how does that break down into practice? Right, so I'll go back to like last year when we did high school and then I'll talk a little bit about Wilmington. So Merce McCauley, we, in the beginning, it was about maybe 15, 20 minutes. We broke down, you know, our offensive stuff. We were getting shots up. Like we had three stations of working on our different Princeton actions, whether it was our five popping and then, you know, going opposite for a handoff, ball screen, working on different finishes at a rim at the next station. But we broke it down three stations and they were constantly repping it. Uh, that way it, it translated to a game. And then after that, we went maybe the second half of practice doing small sided games, a lot of three on three type four on four stuff. And then a big chunk of it, the last like maybe maybe even 25 minutes tops, we were playing. Like we were getting up and down playing five on five because that's the best way to learn, I think, is just playing the game. Um, you can do so many stuff half court, but if you can't get your kids up and down and really making reads, it's not going to translate in a game because it, it's always going to be different. Something's going to happen. you got to be able to figure it out, fix it. Can you make a different read here and there? Um, so especially with skill development, we spent maybe – 15, 20 minutes tops at the high school level uh, towards the beginning, breaking down our stuff. Uh, here at Wilmington, again, we haven't been able to do any contact yet, but we'll definitely, we're doing two a days right now. So we have our skill session in the morning, um, full team type practice in the evening. You know, we, we do a regular practice. We'll have warm-up stations. So about nine minutes where we're working on something, whether it's defensively, rebounding, finishing, uh, shooting type of off our lifts or pitches. So we're breaking that down. Uh, we go into a little bit of a, a shell without, again, without contact. So the coaches are out there just working on defensive rotations and everything like that. Uh, hopefully when we get to contact, we'll be able to get up and down and play. But like the high school level, you know, I'd say 15, 20 minutes tops, even at the college level, you're spending on breaking down uh, your skills, whether it's small sided games or, you know, stations by your offensive concepts. That's interesting. I, I'm just kind of curious about, you know, there's, there's so much of a push today and, and I've myself kind of bought into this, but I'm just curious in your thoughts about, you know, what do you think about positions in offense? You know, the very old, uh, you know, point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center, you know, do you guys kind of have positions in your offense, you know, specific skills that specific groups of players work on, or does everybody kind of work on posting up? Does everybody kind of work on shooting the three? Just kind of take me through that idea of player development. Yeah, so we, we fit our stuff based on the players that we have. So for here at Wilmington, we don't really have a true center. Now, we do have a freshman who's come in who's played basically the post all through high school, and she's only 5'10". 
So she's not comfortable shooting threes. Uh, she's more mid-range game and back to the basket. Now, we do have some bigger players who are seniors who are about, you know, same height, maybe 5'11". Uh, they can do both. They are they can shoot the threes and they can play back to the basket. So we kind of tailor it to both. But we've had skill sessions where we'll go bigs and guards split at each end. And we're even working on posting up with our guards because we have a couple of actions where they're coming off a flex screen. If they catch it down there, they got to be able to make maybe a quick move or quick decision, especially around the basket. Because, you know, if teams switch, you might have a big on you. Can you make a decision right from there? So, yes, we, we based on our personnel that we have now, we do teach a little bit of both. Um, I think the only, again, the only person that's really not learning how to shoot threes right now is our, our freshman five, who, again, is back to the basket mid-range. Um, but, yeah, we, I mean, even in our daily vitamins, I got ball handling. I want ball handling from one through five. Um, you know, even if my five's not bringing the ball down, She's got to be able to handle in tight spaces when she catches it inside. All right. So again, I was uh, the other day when I was listening to you, you talked about your player development and basing it on your scouts, right? And teams you're going to play. Obviously, again, a little bit easier at the college level, right? You have so much more information. Um, but I just thought that process was super interesting. What are what are some of the things that you look for? So you're, you know, okay, we know this team's going to run this. They have the same coach they've had for the last 10 years. That This is what they're going to run. Um, but what does that process look like when you're, you're putting that in into to kind of counteract what other teams do against you guys? Yeah, so, like, if we know a team always ices a ball screen, you know, we're teaching our, our point guards how to read a, basically refuse. We're teaching our, our screeners their screening angles. And, hey, you might, with their icing, you might not have to roll straight to the basket. Again, you're going to go against a drop coverage of a post player. There's going to be other defenders in help. You just have to pop into the open space and make that read. So again, we're teaching them, you know, if a de defender does this, we need to do that. So if a team's denying, um, we've taught our players, hey, if you see the, the back of the head of your defender, you better be backdooring. I don't care if we're doing a lift. I don't care if we're doing a pitch. I don't care if it's a handoff. Go. Um, We've taught, like I said, with our point guards, if a team just, like, is denying and they decide to blow up that handoff, you need to be able to still fake that and push it out and go. Um, so it's, it's sometimes even tailored into their vitamins. Like I said, with our vitamins, I'll try to break down every scenario that I could think of that a defense might take away. Um, but at the end of the day, it's helping them feel confident in their skills to where, you know, if a defense tries to take something away, how can we make them wrong um, in that concept? Well, my next question is, everybody's had to get super creative, right? We've, nobody's ever been in this situation. Um, you know, and I've been kind of thinking of myself, what can I use from that I did during this right pandemic and different situation in the future? What is something that you can take that you guys did, whether, uh, you know, it was last year or going into this year with your college, we you think you can take from, I guess, pandemic coaching, I guess we'll call it right? Something you can take and now use when we go back to whatever, you know, more normal times. Oh, yeah. I think the biggest thing that's helped our team this year is our film sessions. I know that sounds crazy, but they didn't do a lot of film sessions last year. So now we've actually broken the game where it's not just watching us, you know, our offensive sets or anything. It's watching, it's having individual film sessions on, hey, look at this move that you could have made. Like when I was, I did finishes with every player. It was more of an individual session. 
And I, we were watching film from last year and we're breaking it down like, hey, this is a great move, but you got stopped here. What's your counter? How are you gonna go the other way quickly to attack that open gap? Um, so film's been essential, especially with Zoom. So we've done, again, Zoom's helped tremendously. We'll probably utilize it even after pandemic because it allows us to see face-to-face -face and be able to share that film without them either feeling like they have to come into the office or just watch clips on their own. They're able to basically be coached virtually. Um, I guess another thing is continuing to expand and get better at our skills as well. Um, you know, that was something new that they didn't have was daily vitamins and actually having workouts tailored to them. So like the daily vitamins aren't the same for every wing and every guard and every post, like it's tailored to them individually. I watched film in the fall with them and I told them, this is what we're gonna get, this is the areas that you're gonna get better at personally. And this is how we're gonna do it. Um, being a college athlete, like, you know, when I got my fall, my summer packet, it was the same for every guard on our team. It wasn't really tailored to me. So that was something that I wanted to, I did, and I've, I want to expand on because I think it's helped our players tremendously. And it creates that personal connection for them too. Like, okay, hey, coach really wants me to get better. Like she cares or they care. Um, so that, those are two things. It's definitely the film breakdown and individual sessions. Uh, looking at their skills and not just entirely on, okay, we ran this action wrong or this, um, as well as continuing to expand on our daily vitamins and allowing them to have individual tailored workouts to them personally. Okay, so kind of follow up to that when you talk about film, what, what did that look like? Because I know sometimes there's a fine line there, right? Like, okay, you got film and then, you know, you look over and they're not paying any attention whatsoever. So what are, what are some of the things you put in there? Was it you know, a certain amount of clips? Was it just, okay, I want to point out these two things that you're doing today, right? Uh, what, what kind of, how do those film sessions break down? So it, like for me, our first two film sessions were ball screen reads and the next week was finishes. So I clipped maybe 10 max um, and I allowed them to ask questions as well. And I would ask them questions. So if there was a certain coverage on a ball screen, I'd just stop it right there. I wouldn't play it through right away. And I say, okay, tell me, what would you do in this situation? I let them give me my feedback and then I play it. And if, you know, if it's something different, I would be like, okay, why do you think this? Cause it might work, it might not work, but then it gets to show them, okay, this is how this player read this screen. I think the biggest thing that helped with that is Oregon women's basketball was probably the fantastic team to watch for ball screens because the screening right. angles were perfect. Sabrina is a, a tremendous point guard. So she was able to really kind of show our point guards, hey, when you're pressured, you're the one that has to initiate the contact first, get your defender where you want them to be so you can come off the screen how you want to come off the screen. But it was basically allowing them to be asked questions, be engaged. It wasn't just me talking the whole time. Okay, so here's kind of off the wall question, I guess a little bit. Pre-game warm-ups, right? I, I always sit there as a coach, whether I was assistant, and I'm like, man, okay, we're 15 minutes out here, and let's just play, right? Because nothing really got accomplished. Um, and, and again, at the college level, there's just more, right? They have time to get tape. They have time, you know, you're doing film before or whatever. High, high school level, right? Sometimes you're show and go. 15 minutes, you came out of the bleachers, right? The JV team just played. You're playing a varsity game. Got to be ready to go. Um, what are some things in pre-game warm-ups that, that – you know, can combine with that player development to get ready for a game, whether it be game shots, whether it be whatever, whatever we're working on. 
Right. So I guess for us, even at Wilmington, it's like working on our pitch shots and our lift threes because we do shoot threes. So being able to work off that action. Um, we've always done, even when I was at Mercy McCauley, because we might actually change our warm up uh, this year. So I don't have a complete answer for Wilmington yet because our girls actually want something different than they did last year. So we're going to work on that because uh, they thought it was a little to the same sometimes. And they wanted something that could get them you know, feeling like you said, game ready. Like it does sometimes when you have like 20 minutes or 15 minutes, you're ready to go. Sometimes you don't want those 15 and 20 minutes to warm up. Uh, so it was trying to get them as engaged as possibly like get feel loose a little bit, get their mental right. Um, you know, at the high school level, because we ran Princeton offense, there's a lot of passing into shots or passing to finish uh, because that was one area that we needed to be really good at within our offense was passing. So being able to incorporate different things with that. Um, you know, we did our typical uh, defensive rotation, but we were actually going instead of four on four, you know, your typical shell type, there'd be times where we're doing five on five and we're trying to incorporate our actions a little bit and really just get going um, and make it feel game. Like our, like our defense wasn't just there, just rotating casually. Like they were trying to get steals. They were boxing out. They were playing almost game speed. Now, you know, there is a fine line. Like you don't want to go too hard where you're, you're getting hurt in warmest, but they knew like, hey, if I can get a deflection, I'm getting a deflection. If I'm getting a steal, I'm getting a steal. You know, if I'm on offense and I can blow by you for a layup and maybe kick that one more if there's help rotation, which there should be if we're in our defensive spot like we need to be, then we're doing that. But no, it wasn't just like our your typical four on four. Well, I'm, we're just going to swing the ball and casually like get to here or here. Like we were going game speed, make it game like so. You know, when we got to the bench, we're clapping it up. We're ready to go. Like we just played a little four on four or five on five. We're ready. We're our heart rates up, and like we're mentally competitive now to for whatever opponent we're playing. So obviously, we're as I say to every guest, we're the after the timeout podcast. So you know, we we like to delve into a little bit of timeouts. You know, for for you, I I really thought the question would be a little bit unique. You know, as an assistant, what do you think your role is during a timeout? And what are some characteristics of a great assistant coach during a timeout for a team? I think based on my experience, it's whatever the head coach needs, but I think it's giving them a different perspective because sometimes the head coach is so wrapped up on watching a certain thing or their mind is focused on a certain thing that's happening on the floor that they might miss something. They might miss what a defender's doing, or they might miss, hey, we can really take this player out of position and allow our player to, to make a basically beat them off the bounce or pull them out to where she's able to do something creative, whether it's our best player or another player on the floor. Uh, so being able to kind of give them your perspective and your view of what you're seeing, because sometimes a coach is so focused on one certain thing, they miss certain other actions that are happening. Um, so being able to kind of see the game as a whole in that perspective and allow when that timeout happens, hey, coach, I think we need to make this adjustment because so-and-so is denying. Maybe we put our best player out here and try to get a backdoor action, or maybe we fake a handoff and we do this. Um, or it might be that calm, collective, hey, get everyone settled down uh, type of thing. Um, it always it's just It depends on what your head coach wants from you, but I think the biggest thing is continuously seeing the game as a whole because you know that they might miss something. Can you help them and give them that different perspective where they're like, oh, okay, let's do this. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, those are all essential. 
so in, we always like to do a, a fun top five. And, and I, I, I had read something where you mentioned how you love to read. So give us your coach cast top five books you would recommend to coaches to either improve themselves overall as a coach or as a leader uh, as a whole. Okay. I'll put this as one, but any John Gordon book. Um, yes, any my John favorite. Gordon book. I read, I think every, all of them so far. Um, I had done coffee bean over the summer, even though it was like, it's small and it's quick. It's like, it gives you a great perspective on life, especially when it was a pandemic year. Um, but any of John Gordon's books, uh, Chop Wood, Carry Water by Joshua Metcalf is a great one. Uh, I read Legacy by James Kerr, and that one is really good, even for coaches, but even as play for players. It's basically, you know, the 15 essential keys for leadership, um, and I loved it. It was probably one of my favorite books. Um, another one, which this one would definitely be, like, top three, Everybody Matters uh, by Bob Chapman. It's more of a business kind of book but it really entails that you got to treat the, your, your people as people. Um, you know, they're not just an assembly line to get, to make sh to get you to wherever you want to get to, like they're people first. And it's that everybody matters in your organization and treating them as human beings, as people to get the best, you know, outcome that you want collectively. I think that's a great book for anyone in a leadership position in any field. Um, and then the last one, I think I mentioned in my last presentation was in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. Even if you're not the most religious person, I, I, I'm going to be straight up. I'm not, I'm baptized Catholic, but I'm not the most religious person, but it opened my eyes and opened my perspective to a whole new thing. Um, you know, like I said, my favorite chapter was about risks and it, it straight up said, if you want a God-sized opportunity, you got to be willing to take a God-sized risk. And I thought, Nothing more than taking a risk than resigning from your position in a pandemic uh, with no job lined up either. Like I was job searching, like people thought you're crazy. Like typically you resign if, because you have another job lined up. I'm like, it felt right. Like it, it was just that feeling like I, this is the perfect time for me. And it ended up working out, but that book, I think I'd recommend to anybody because it helps, it changes your perspective um, and allows you to really approach life in a different way, a little bit more confidently. You had me at John Gordon. I've also read almost every one of his books and listened to them. Um, I, I think all those books are, are fascinating. I actually wrote them all down, um, especially I really like the Everybody Matters uh, concept. So coach, we, we greatly appreciate you joining us. Uh, we really enjoyed your clinics. Uh, we enjoyed this conversation. Coaches out there, please follow uh, coach on Twitter. Uh, please uh, join her clinics. You will learn so much. She may say that she's a young coach, but she's a phenomenal tool for teaching. So coach, thank you so much for joining us today. No, thank you for, guys for having me and everyone follow this podcast because this might be the best podcast I've been on. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the After the Timeout podcast. For more information and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout. You can find all of our episodes on Anchor.fm, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcasts by searching After the Timeout. Thank you for listening.